There are any number of delightful stories I could tell about the legacies passed on to me in my life. But one of the things I want to talk a little bit about today uh, leads me to share uh, a story um, about going home. Uh, with some regularity, we go to visit my parents for Thanksgiving. Every, every other Thanksgiving, we go to visit my parents. And um, I tend to fall into a pattern, uh, or I have in the past tended to fall into a, a pattern of behavior uh, that is, in a way, a legacy to me. Uh, my brother and sister are often there, and we are hilariously funny to one another by uh, the ability that we have to quote Gilligan's Island verbatim back and forth to one another, and we find ourselves exceptionally entertaining. Um, and somehow we gather around the table, and the need to one-up one another, the need to entertain each other, the need to keep everyone else laughing, uh, oftentimes keeps us from being who we really are around the table uh, with our own struggles. It's a, it's a distraction. And sometimes I want to say to you that our legacies in life are a distraction. So I want you to know that there are good legacies, but there are also uh, legacies we have to overcome. Legacies we have to even become aware of, that they are shaping the way that we behave in certain situations. Um, you know, I've told you before that one of the ways that, I, you know, I don't know how little, little, little boys need to be trained differently. I, I don't know what it is when we get those little testosterone pokes in our uh, running through our systems. We think that hitting is a way to show little girls that we like them. And, I, you know, and, and unfortunately, some adults grow up to you turn that into domestic violence. But one of the ways when I was you know, first beginning to fall in love with Linda, I would walk up to her and just put my fist on her shoulder and just push her a little bit. Just because that was just my way of saying, you know, I love you. Uh, and uh, only then when she asked me how I felt about her, I had to tell her I valued our relationship. <sighs> because, you know, I would rather, oh, I value our relationship. <sighs> Uh, you know, because I couldn't say those words. You know, we inherit all sorts of legacies. They come to us from our parents. They come to us from our friends and our peers and our society, uh, from those we look up to in life. Uh, and oftentimes, those legacies are really good. They are really good. But the unexamined life is dangerous. The unexamined life with, uh, you know, without recognizing what really is good and what we were told was good. You know, I was sort of raised that you don't ever get angry. Well, there are some times to get angry. There are some times not to get angry as well. But the blanket statement that anger is bad is wrong. <laughs> you ought to be angry when someone does something uh, unjust in the world. You ought to be angry when someone takes advantage of you. Now what you do with that anger, that's another thing altogether. But these legacies of things that play in our brain uh, that are oftentimes unexamined in our lives become a challenge. And we have to work hard, diligently in our lives to overcome them. Now, we are in our lives two things. 
We are legacies and we are passers of legacy. Uh, that is to say, whether you want to or not, every action you take in life passes on some sense of who you are. There is always someone watching, uh, especially if you're not alone in your house by yourself. And even then, I don't know, I am absolutely certain Alexa is listening uh, and recording everything I say, although we don't have Alexa, so I don't worry about Alexa recording me. It's more like Siri. Periodically, I better not say that now because she might come on. I don't understand what you just said, James. Uh, so first, let's take a look at the legacy that comes to us for just a moment. When I think about it, um, I always wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be a little bit like my mom, too, but, you know, as a boy growing up, I wanted to be like my dad. He was quiet when he spoke the things that he said. Yeah, well, I already blew that one. You know, I'm not, there's no chance of me being like dad that way. Dad was always quiet. He didn't say much, but when he said something, I noticed that even when he was at work, a couple of times, you know, he worked for the Department of the Navy at the Naval Supply Center, and I noticed that when Dad started talking, people shut up and listened to what he had to say because he didn't say much, but when he did say something, he, his economy of words was because what he had to say was very wise. Uh, he worked very hard, and I always wanted to be like that. Uh, but at the same time, he was very engaged in my life. Um, he went on Boy Scout camping trips with me when I went camping. Uh, I can still remember that. He always encouraged me uh, as a Boy Scout. He went on all the band trips. When the band went, the marching band went places, Dad went on all of those trips. Uh, Dad helped raise money for the band. I mean, he did all of these kinds of things, and I always thought I wanted to be like Dad. And... Um, you know, he's 90 years old now, and he is still ruggedly independent. Um, he does occasionally need to use his vertical stabilizer, his cane. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, he refuses to use it around the house, which scares Linda and I a little bit sometimes. If you're watching, Dad, it does, just so you know. Um, but, you know, when he goes out in public... He's, you know, ambulatory, gets out there. He still jokes with the waiters and waitresses. He's, he's, he's him. And I always thought I wanted to be him. Until I got in my 50s and I realized, I, I need to be me. I can't be dad. There's only one William Heath Henry in all of history. There's only one Carol Jacobson Henry in all of history. And that, they passed on some things to me. But now I have to figure out who I am. So let me turn to a text that uh, is deeply bothersome to some people when you read it in Luke or in Matthew. But it's a Jesus quote, uh, and I'm beginning in verse 49 of chapter 12. Jesus is saying these words, I came to cast fire upon the earth, how I wish it were already ablaze. I have a baptism I must experience. How I am distressed until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you. I have come instead to bring division. 
from now on a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will square off against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Boy, and those are words right out of Jesus' mouth. Boy, he came to stir up a hornet's nest, you know, get in the middle of families. Have you ever seen what that happens? Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the historical background of this piece. Luke wasn't written until probably sometime after the destruction of the temple, long after Jesus was dead and raised again. So after 30, 33, the temple was destroyed and the city of Jerusalem raised pretty much uh, in 66 A.D. And sometime after that, the Gospel of Luke was written down. Uh, They'd been carrying the stories for a while, and they finally decided it was time to write them down. And by that time, uh, all of these good followers in the way, these good Jewish boys and girls who came to believe in Jesus, uh, and there were some of them, we're all going to synagogue every week. They, they didn't start a whole new church thing. They didn't go to church on Sunday morning. They hung out on Saturday going to synagogue. There were Pharisees that came to synagogue. There were Sadducees that came to synagogue. There were followers of the way that came to synagogue. And they were all perfectly fine being together in there until around 80 when there was an, you know, the Uh, our Jewish sisters and brothers decided they need to clean up their act and figure out who was a good Jew and who wasn't. And the followers of the way were not good Jews, and they began to be kicked out of the synagogue, which meant they lost all of their connections. They lost all of their business connections, all their family connections. They weren't allowed to come home for Thanksgiving every year. They were shunned, outsiders. And this text is a lot about that. It's about how families get divided because some of them want to follow the way of Jesus and some of them don't. And you have to decide, are you really a follower of Jesus? So much so that you're willing to be out of the house, not welcome at the table anymore. Mom and dad won't even call you by name. They won't recognize you if you come to the marketplace. You aren't welcome to work at the shop or care for the flock, or whatever your job was before. You're outside. That's how harsh it was in the first century. I think that this speaks to us today. Not that you want to throw away your parents, or your brothers or sisters, if they believe or see the world differently than you do, but you have to figure out for you what your voice is. What legacy you'll leave behind. I can't leave behind Bill Henry's legacy, although I carry it inside of me. That's my dad. I don't ever call him Bill Henry. I call him dad or daddy. But I can't leave his legacy. I leave my legacy as I claim for myself what parts of my dad I have and what parts of my mom I have and what parts of Abba Poman that I read to you earlier I carry with me. The long history of, of the Bible and its interpretation and what it means and all the writers who've written about it in the last 2,000 years, I have to see which one of those I wish to claim. And then I have to claim them for myself and then live them in a way that makes sense for me, and that is the legacy I can leave. 
and the legacy you can leave is what you bring to the table. There are broken parts of your life, and there are beautiful parts of your life, and some of them are the same pieces. Because as you recover from the brokenness in your life, sometimes the broken pieces become the most precious pieces of who you are. Because it's oftentimes out of your brokenness that you bring healing to other people around you. Your own pain becomes a tool of healing. Now that's if you learn to get over it enough so that you're not just passing on your pain. You know, you've, you've heard it said about you know, people who are abusers, often it, it's passed from generation to generation until somebody breaks that cycle. Because once you've been hurt, the tendency until you deal with the hurt is to pass it on to somebody else and to keep passing it on. When somebody hurts you, sometimes, don't you feel that kind of gut-level reaction sometimes? Somebody says something mean to you, what is your response? Say something mean back. It's a self-protective mechanism. Somebody's, you know, you, you get hurt, you want to hurt back. And the challenge that Jesus lays down for us is we have to break the cycles that get passed on to us sometimes. We have to decide who we're going to be and we have to be transformed enough to let a different message carry forward from who we are. And that different message has got to be shaped by the grace and love of God. This passage, which in some ways, first time I read it, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to reject my family and just throw them away? I don't get what that's all about? No, I don't have to throw them away. But when I see things differently, I have to be who I am. I can't be who they are. I have to be who I am. And the hardest thing to claim for ourselves, I'm 56 and I'm still just learning to claim it, is to claim my own voice about who God is for me. Because God, I can't have my mom or my dad's relationship with God. I can't borrow it. I can't borrow my grandparents. My grandfather was a Methodist pastor in New York. I can't borrow, first of all, I never met him. But I can't borrow his relationship with God. I have got to develop my own. And then I've got to learn a way to talk about my faith. To live out my faith that looks like me. And you see, the reason why this fits into the whole visioning piece and is the last cap piece of the visioning piece is because that's got to be what St. James is. We are a unique, diverse set of delightful and sometimes wacky people. And I'm looking at some of them in person, and some of them are online, and some of them will be watching this later in the week, and we are all different. And what we bring to the table is each of our own unique stories. But whether or not our sign outside says United Methodist or not, and it does, St. James United Methodist Church, we have to be our own representation of the faith here at St. James. We don't look like any other United Methodist Church. And quite frankly, even the United Methodist Churches that look like each other aren't like each other. 
Because they're not made of the same people. They're not in the same location. They don't have the same experiences, the same engagement, the same anything. Every one of us is unique and different. We're all part of this big, beautiful thing. And then you ask if we're anything like all of our other sisters and brothers from other denominations and other religions. The answer is no. And that's okay. So what is the legacy St. James will leave? What do we have to offer here on the west end of Alexandria? And across the internet, because we've become, there are people who watch us and Minnesota and Washington State. And for a long time, uh, when uh, one of our former members' families, uh, she was originally from, um, from Iran. Her dad watched us on stream. We had an Iranian family watching St. James. I mean, we have to be who we are. And that's the legacy we can leave. We can't pretend to be somebody else. We are not a rubber stamp of anybody else. You're not a rubber stamp. I'm not a rubber stamp. And we can't be the St. James of 1962 when this church was planted. It's actually 1960. We're not meeting in a fire station anymore over in Bailey's Crossroads. We're different people. But we're thankful for the people who went before us and helped plan us and provided us the footwork on which we can stand. But I bet if I really asked my mom and dad, and I never ask these kinds of questions, and I probably should ask these kinds of questions, they don't want me to be them. Dad doesn't want me to be some kind of carbon copy of him. He wants me to be me. He's always told me he wants me to be me. Now, there were some times he would have liked if I'd done a few things differently in my life. Haven't, couldn't we all say that about everybody we know? Oh, I wish he hadn't done that, you know. Uh, but for the most part, Dad wants me to be me. Mom wants me to be me. God wants me to be me. Because that's who God made me to be. God wants you to be you. Are you being the you God wants you to be? Because that's the legacy. It's the only legacy you've got to really pass on. Stop pretending to be somebody else. You don't have to put on a happy face when you're not happy. You don't have to pretend to be healthy when you're sick. You don't have to pretend to be unbroken when you're broken. Now maybe you have to put that face on at work or in places outside where you don't feel safe. And maybe you don't feel safe here. But I hope that this will become a place of safety where you can be who you are and you don't have to pretend. Because God sees you for who you are. And that's the one he loves. If I had read from you Tom Mer Thomas Merton today, God can't love an illusion. The person you pretend to be, because that's an illusion. God loves the real you. The one that you hide even from yourself sometimes, because it makes you uncomfortable. Ooh, those touchy-feely feelings. I don't like that. I'm going to pretend to be impervious. The legacy you leave is being who God made you to be. The legacy St. James leaves 
with every passing day that we continue to be the church on the west end of Alexandria is being who we are. We're still figuring that out. It's still unfolding. I don't know what it'll look like in 10 years. Heck, I don't even know if I'll still be alive in 10 years. Um, 10 minutes, to be honest. But that's, that's the legacy. You know, I, I, I put a quote in the, in the printed update. And you know, wise religious scholar, I, I looked for one and I found Lionel Richie. You know, wise religious scholar that he is. I think the whole world is dying to hear someone say, I love you. I think that if I can leave the legacy of love and passion in the world, then I think I've done my job in a world that's getting colder and colder by the day. All week long, this song by Nicole Nordeman has been playing in my head. It's a song called Legacy. You know, I want to leave a legacy. How will they remember me? Will I, learn, will I choose to love? Will I point to you wherever you is? I mean, God isn't up there. <laughs> you know, will I point to you enough to make a mark on things? And she talks about the legacy being love, kindness, grace, goodness. Will that be how you're remembered? Will that be how St. James is remembered? The legacy of love we left? So, I'm not saying throw away the baby with the bathwater, but I am saying I challenge you to figure out who you really are. And it's okay not to do things the way You've always done them just because you thought that was the way you were supposed to do them. If who you are tells you to do it differently. Cause you're